Please turn to Proverbs uh, 31. Our scripture reading is the first nine verses. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? Do not give your strengths to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. May the Lord consider our affliction and deliver us as we remember his law. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would sanctify my sinful lips, that from a vessel of clay the riches of your glorious grace might be proclaimed this morning. We ask that you would open um, to us your word and that uh, we might see you, Jesus Christ, as you are revealed in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the last chapter of Proverbs, and it's certainly one of the most famous chapters, if not the most famous chapter in all of Proverbs. There, it is the proverbial Proverbs 31 woman. And like the last chapter in chapter 30, which contained a prophecy of Agur, which he communicated to a few other people. This chapter, Proverbs 31, was written by Lemuel, a king. His name simply means dedicated to God. And we don't know much more about him, except that his mother was either a prophetess to whom the Lord gave this prophecy, or she was given uh, this prophecy which she then taught to her son. In, in modern language, you, you could title this chapter, The Things My Mother Taught Me. Ironically, most people today think of Proverbs 31 as something that is especially relevant to women and to young ladies. And it's certainly relevant to women and young ladies. But the original recipient and the actual audience of this chapter is to men. It's to a young man, to Lemuel, a king. It contains the counsel of Lemuel's mother to him. 
It was her wisdom. It was her instruction about what he needed, about what was important and what he needed to know to be successful as a man of God, as a husband, as a father. And and Lemuel is giving this advice uh, and his audience is other young men. And so instead of being in instruction of a king to young ladies, it's actually the opposite. Contains a prophecy which a mother taught to her son. And so I've titled this this morning, The Proverbs 31 Man. Because that is the audience of, of um, of this prophecy, this counsel. A literal, trans, or a, 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 yeah, a literal translation of verse 1 would be the words of Lemuel, a king, a prophecy or oracle which his mother taught him. So this is written by Lemuel, but he's communicating something, a prophecy, an utterance, just like Agur was giving a prophecy. It, it was a prophecy that his mother taught to him. And so we, this chapter is what a godly woman considered important for her son to know in order to have a fruitful life. And right in, so right in the opening line, we see that godly mothers teach their sons. And this teaching has a profound influence on them their entire lives. Lemuel is now a king. We don't know where he was a king, uh, but he, he was a king somewhere or, or in line to be a king. And he is passing on this godly instruction, this prophetic instruction which his mother gave him. You see, the impact a godly mother has on her sons by her good instruction is vital. It's huge. It's a position of influence that every mother should desire. And I would say that you as a mother will have a far greater impact on the world through your instruction of your sons and your children than any other work you could possibly do. It, it really is a high calling that is worthy of every gift, of every ability, of every resource that the Lord has given to you. It's a worthy outlet for all of those gifts and abilities. You don't need anything else. You don't need any other outlet in order to be fulfilled. And I would say that with very few exceptions, you will be remembered far more for the instructions that you give your sons and your daughters than for anything else that you will do. I mean, I, I still see today yeah, people that are my age and older talking about the things that their mother told them. But Lemuel remembered his mother's instruction. 
He didn't write it off as uh, dated or or think to himself, well, what could she teach me? And this has been the instruction and this has been the message of Proverbs throughout this book. Proverbs 1.8 begins with, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Or Proverbs 6, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Or Proverbs 23.22, Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. This is the message of Proverbs, that sons respect and remember the instruction of their mothers. He respected that instruction, or he, yes, respected that instruction by remembering it, and he respected that instruction by passing it along. He thought it was important enough and worthy of being taught to others. So first, we see Lemuel's mother instructed him. And second, we see in the second verse that she expresses deep affection for her son. He was special to her. Now, that's not obvious from the way uh, the New King James translates verse 2. But commentators and translators are not certain how to translate this verse. And translations are all over the map on, on verse 2. Uh, Walkie, Bruce Walkie, following the NIV, which he helped to translate, so it's probably his translation, he translates it, listen, my son. And his basis for that is that this word here for what, this word that's used in the Hebrew for what, it's translated in the New King James, what, it's an Aramaic loan word that in Aramaic means to listen. And there's another Aramaic loan word in that sentence as well, and that is son. So it, there is some basis for, for that, and, but, I, but uh, most translate verse 2 as what, and they put uh, a negative connotation to it. You know, the King James and the New King James translate it, what, my son, what, the son of my womb, what the son of my vows, as if it's a rhetorical question of some sort. What, what is the son of my vows doing? It, it almost implies he was doing something he shouldn't be doing. Uh, the common English Bible translates it, no, my son, with that I, negative connotation to it. Others translate it as, what should I say, my son? Well, that's reading a lot into the text that's not there in the Hebrew. But while many, if not most, take this in a negative sense, there are several translators and uh, commentators that don't. And so, I, although I readily grant that what or how is one way this word can be translated, and one way it is commonly translated, it can also be an ex exclamation, like our O, oh, an exclamation of, of praise or um, so forth. And, and the, the New American Standard, which is usually very literal, 
puts, puts both of those concepts together to come up with what? Oh, my son. But I think the simplest translation and the most consistent with the context is to translate it as, Oh, my son. Oh, son of my womb. Oh, son of my vows. She respected her son. He's her son. Going back in time, he's the son that she conceived and carried within her for nine months and for whom she labored hard to bring into this world. And going back even farther in time, in the third clause, he's a son for whom she prayed, who was conceived in answer to her vow. Like Hannah, she must have vowed before he was conceived to dedicate him to the Lord. In fact, that's what his name means. His name means dedicated to the Lord, just like Samuel's name means asked of the Lord. And this, uh, this, this expression here, oh, oh, my son, oh, the son of my womb, oh, the son of my vows, demonstrates her affection for her son and it communicates also respect to him, which is something that sons need from their mothers, especially sons. And the fact that she repeats this three times, I think, emphasizes her affection and her respect. And so then in verse 3, she proceeds to give Uh, to Lemuel, her counsel. And the very first instruction that she gave him was not to give his strength to women. Not to give his strength to women. Now that's not an anti-woman statement because obviously this context of Proverbs 31 is decidedly not an anti-woman statement passage but this is something that he is not to do and and the next phrase confirms that it 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 elaborates it it expands on that don't give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroys kings so we have to understand this giving of strength to women is something which is going to destroy him as a man and especially him as a king This is not talking about um, using his strength. Men are created strong in ways that women are not. And they're to use that strength to protect the women, to defend them, to provide for them. So it's not speaking about don't use your strength for the benefit of your wife and your family. It's, It's speaking of something else. It's, we know this because it is something that is going to destroy him. That's the parallel. It's a way that will destroy him. I think there are two broad ways that men give their strength to woman, to, to women, that's in the plural, in the wrong way. And the first is through sexual immorality, pornography, lust, promiscuity. And the second is through abdication of their responsibilities as men. But the most obvious example or the most obvious way in which men 
improperly give their strength to women is sexual immorality. This was the message of Proverbs 5 regarding strange woman. You know, and, and a, a strange woman is, is a woman who is not a part of the covenant. The strange woman is, uh, is, is someone who's not in the covenant relationship. That's how Paul uses it when he speaks about to the Gentiles that they were strangers and aliens in the covenant. They weren't a part of the covenant. So they were, in that sense, a foreigner. And when, the, when Proverbs speaks of a strange woman, then it's speaking of a woman who is outside of the covenant of marriage. And Proverbs 5 begins, My son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. So therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. That's saying, don't dally in this kind of thing. Don't play around the edges with it. Don't see how close you can get to immorality, but not cross the line. Don't go near the door of her house. Flee it. And here's the reason. Lest you give your honor to others. Lest you give your honor to others. That's giving strength, giving your strength to a woman and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth. And this word for, for strength actually means wealth. It can mean, it's often transla- it can be translated in many places, army. Uh, it's, uh, but it refers to strength, wealth, army, you know, um, the, the substance of what you have. So all of this, this, this whole passage here in, in chapter 5 is really, I think, an explanation, a further detail of what it means to give one's strength to women or in, in ways that destroy a man. It says, Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your wealth, your honor to others and your ears to the cruel one lest aliens, that's a foreigner, that's somebody that's, not your family, be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Now that's, that's, a, that's what it is to give your strength to somebody. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. That's your physical strength you've given away. When your flesh and your body are consumed and you say how I hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. On the verge of total ruin. He was in the middle of the church. This was a church-going person that's being described here. This is not some person sowing their wild oats, but this is somebody who is in the middle of the assembly and the congregation on the verge of destruction because he's given his strengths to women through sexual immorality. 
which includes all, all manner of immorality, all manner of lust and pornography, of, of fantasies and thoughts, being preoccupied with, with improper thoughts. She's saying the first, her first message to her son that she loved, that she respected, is don't give your strength to women. It will destroy you. It will destroy you as a man and destroy you as a king. Avoid the strange woman who is outside the covenant. And all that is involved in that. Proverbs 6 goes on to talk about, for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread an adulteress will prey on his precious life. Pornography is committing adultery in a virtual sense with an unknown woman, and it takes your life. Proverbs 7 describes, again, another foolish man who is enticed by a harlot. And after giving this process of seduction, it says immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he didn't know it would cost him his life. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were strong men. Strong men. Don't think that you're strong enough or stronger this, this giving your strength to women destroys strong men. All, Proverbs says, all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending into the chambers of death. You see, all of this, all of these things, this lack, this lust and lack of self-control doesn't just destroy a marriage. It doesn't just break a woman's heart. It destroys you the one who practices it. It steals your strength as a man and it opens you up and, and you and your family to all manner of demonic oppression. Mallory Millett is the sister to Katie Millett who is the author of the book, the 1970s book, Sexual Politics, which preached the feminist message that marriage was slavery and wives were just were, were, were prostitutes to one man. Well, her sister, Mallory, wrote an article a few years ago about a planning meter that, meeting that her sister had invited her to in 1969. This is before Roe and Wade. This was back when it was still a crime in every state to kill an unborn baby. She writes, Katie... Kate invited me to join her for a gathering at the home of her friend, Lila Karp. They called the assemblage a consciousness-raising group, a typical communist exercise, something practiced in Maoist China. We gathered at a large table as the chairperson opened the meeting with a back-and-forth recitation like a litany, a type of prayer done in Catholic Church, but now it was Marxism the church of the left mimicking religious practice. And that's something, if you pay attention to like St. Ungar of the Young Turks, they do the exact same thing. There's videos around of them doing this today, with people today. And so 
this go, she goes on with this, giving the words of this litany. Why are we here today, she asks. To make revolution, they answer. What kind of revolution, she replies. The cultural revolution, they chant back. And how do we make the cultural revolution, she asks. By destroying the American family, they chant back. How do we destroy the American family, she replies. By destroying the American patriarch, she came back. She, she cried exuberantly, Mel, Millery says. And how do we destroy the American patriarch, she replied. By taking away his power. And how do we do that? By destroying monogamy, they shouted. And how can we destroy monogamy? And this is where Mallory says their answer left me dumbstruck, breathless, disbelieving my ears. Was I on planet Earth? Who were these people? Their answer, by promoting promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, and homosexuality. And they proceeded with a long Discussion, Mallory goes on to say, on how to advance these goals by establishing the National Organization of Women. It was clear they desired nothing less than the utter deconstruction of Western society. The upshot was that the only way to do this was to invade every American institution. Everyone must be permeated with the revolution, the media, the educational system, the universities, high schools, K-12, school boards, then the judiciary, the legislature, the executive branches, and even the library system. I think it's interesting that today it's come to light that many state legislatures have given libraries exceptions to the pedophilia laws, that what would be criminal for you and I to simply have in our possession, it can be in a public school library for our children. They have, a, they have an, an exemption clause in, in the law for school libraries. These founders of now targeted the library system. Kate uh, Mallory goes on to say, it fell on my ears as a ludicrous scheme, as if they were a band of highly imaginative children planning a Brinks robbery. The destruction, you see, of men is accomplished through sexual immorality. And when men fall, when patriarchy falls, culture falls, they're destroyed. Men are destroyed and the culture is destroyed with them. Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. These people understood this, these founders of now. In fact, um, before he died, Aaron Russo, who is a, I don't even think he was a Christian, he was a Hollywood film producer. He wrote, he produced, uh, directed a couple of movies back in the day. Um, and he, and but before he died of lung cancer about 15 years ago or so, he put out a movie, uh, a documentary, because he was a personal friend of the Rockefellers. And he talked about in their feminism and the IRS tax system as the means by which America was being led. The name of that movie was From Freedom to Fascism. And he identified these as the means by which 
America would be taken from a free nation where where men and women were able to obey the law of God to a fascist or tyrannical state where it was difficult and and people were oppressed and unable to obey the law of God. And and um, in there he I bring that up because in there he mentioned in his private conversations with members of the Rockefeller family, which he was like a personal friend of their family, being this Hollywood director, they acknowledged to him that the scheme of having American women go into the workforce was a scheme, was, a, was their part of their plan to destroy the American family, to destroy monogamy. And that's the essence then of Lemuel's mother's instruction to him. Do not give your strength to women. It will destroy you as a man and destroy your family and destroy your nation. The destruction of men is accomplished through sexual immorality. But the other way that this, that, that this can happen is through abdication. Through men abdicating their role as men, as husbands, as fathers, as providers and protectors. And the, the, the classic example of this is Adam. In, in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent came to Eve... And said, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, but of the fruit of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. So first he questions what God has said. Then he contradicts it with a direct lie. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The, Paul said in Timothy that Eve was deceived in that. She was deceived by the serpent. But Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived in what she was led astray. Adam was not. That means that Adam was there and he was not deceived. He understood what was going on and did nothing to, about it. He did nothing to stop this situation from developing. But he took that fruit when his wife gave it to him and he ate it. And in so doing, he abdicated his role as a defender, as a protector. He was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. He knew what the consequences are. Eve, the Bible says, was deceived. She didn't know. And in so doing, 
Adam gave his strength to women and it did bring the destruction of him, his wife, and in his case, the entire human race. There are many applications of this aspect of giving one's strength to women, of men giving their strength to women in, in the sense of abdicating their, their position, abdicating their role as a protector and a defender. We, you could think on a cultural level when uh, women were given the vote in, the, in, the, in this country a hundred years ago. That was an ab- that was a abdication of responsibility. That w- that was a sign of a culture that was dying. That was not liberating for women. The twentieth century has not been kind to women. And th- this message that uh, of the of Proverbs is radical today, but it was just as radical in, in the days of Proverbs. What the Bible was teaching was about women, and as this chapter will go on to fill out, was very different from how the other cultures treated their women. It was just as radical then as it is today. Husbands can can abdicate their role as as the protector and defender of their family when, like Adam, they do not um, provide a vision. They do not provide a vision for the family. They don't provide the context for the family life as to what the purpose and direction, what the focus of the of that family is going to be about. Husbands and wives were created in the image of God. And the, the woman was created after the man to be a help meet. And that's an interesting word. It's not a help mate. It's a help meet. Meet is the word that's suited or comparable. So there is a, an equality of personhood in the Lord. That's the comparable part, as uh, as uh, Matthew Henry so famously stated. The the woman was taken not from um, Adam's uh, foot that he would step rule over, trample on her, and not from his head that she would rule over him, but under his, from a rib under his arm, so that she would be protected. So she'd be beside him to be protected and loved by him but but a woman is comparable to a man but she's and so there's an equality of personhood but there's not an equality of function she is a helper and so adam has been given this task to exercise dominion over the earth he's to subdue it he's to have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the earth over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and god gave him that task 
and he begins that task and, and he doesn't find anybody who is suited to him. And so God then created Eve and brought her to him as someone who is uniquely able to, to enable him to fulfill this task. He's incomplete without that. And so together, a husband and wife exercise this dominion. And I think husbands abdicate that when, when they do not provide that vision for how their family will carry this out. And don't provide a context for, for all the things that, that go on in the family life. And, and simply allow uh, culture or allow their wife to step in and fill that gap because they will. This is what uh, Isaiah chapter 3 talks about. And it's not, a, it's not a commendation. It's an example of the abdication of men. Isaiah 3 talks about the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable man, the counselor and the skilled honorson and the expert enchanter. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. And the children will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. Women, rulers, is, is the result of men abdicating. God said in his judgment, he's going to take away all of these rulers, all of these men. And what would be left, women would step in to fill the gap. When a, man take that, when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father and says, you have clothing, you be our ruler. There, this is an example of men abdicating and being unwilling to, to take responsibility for ruling and for protecting and for defending. You be our ruler and let these ruins be under your power. And that day this man's going to protest and say, I can't cure your ills. For in my house is neither food or clothing. Don't make me a ruler. He's abdicating. Talks about that day that seven men will take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. You see, they're not happy ruling and protecting. You know, as for my people... Isaiah three, twelve goes on to say, Children are their oppressors and women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. This is happening because the men got, have abdicated. They've given their strength to women. You know, Lemuel's mother goes on in, in, verse, um, in verse 4 to speak of one other area that is destructive to kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. 
See, the influence of alcohol destroys sound judgment. And this idea today of people who live for the weekend so they can enjoy their alcohol, that's their life. That's what she's talking about. That shouldn't be our life. It's not wrong to enjoy these things that God has given. God has given wine to make us uh, to glad. Jesus made wine at the uh, wedding in Cana. He turned the water into wine. These aren't wrong in themselves. What's wrong is when these become our basis for living, when these become that which we look forward to doing on the weekend, that this is our goal. Alcohol destroys sound judgment. Under the influence of alcohol, people lose their inhibitions, and they lose their sound judgments, and they make fools of themselves. Most most things that people do that they regret are done under the influence of alcohol. It also alcohol also inhibits your physical reflexes, your physical ability, your physical responses. Leviticus 10.9 said, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. That was a command given to the priests and the, and the, and the Levites. They were not to drink wine or strong drink. They or their family when they went into the tabernacle. Isaiah speaks of how Israel's men have failed in this way in Isaiah 28, but they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They go, they go out of the way through intoxicating drink. It means they've departed from the path of truth because they're, they're drinking. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. And so Lemuel, his mother, is warning him that this is not appropriate for kings, for men. Isaiah, uh, Proverbs 23 elaborates on this as well, and I'd like to look at that in Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and that your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She lies in wait for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? So there's the, there's the first part, sexual immorality. Now, she goes, now Proverbs here goes on to talk about alcohol. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed drinks. Those who look, do not look on the wine when it is red. And it describes how attractive that wine could be, swirling around smoothly. Because it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper and your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. And then it gives a very, very poignant description of somebody who is under the influence of alcohol inappropriately. Your, your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies at the top of a mast, saying, they have struck me, but I wasn't hurt. They have beaten me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That is not for men. That's a, 
as a way of giving your strength to women. It, there is a place for alcohol, and it, give, and it describes that here. Give it to him who is perishing. There is a place for alcohol. There is a place for palliative treatment and painkillers. Alcohol can do that. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. Give wine to those who are bitter of heart, and let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. But it's not. It's not for young men. It's not for rulers. It's not for kings. It wasn't for priests as they ministered in the temple. This is not something that should be characteristic of our lives. It is a way that can destroy a man and to destroy his family and destroy a culture. And many times when you destroy a family, you destroy it for several generations. Well, we will um, stop there and uh, didn't quite finish this passage uh, on her direction, positive direction on uh, what, a, what a king ought to do. We'll pick that up, Lord willing, next week. Let us, uh, let us pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us, for your Holy Spirit that strengthens us, for apart from your grace, we, we, could not, we cannot stand. Lord, we come to you as your people who want to, to walk in obedience to your ways, to walk in wisdom, to apply our heart to understanding. But we know that we cannot do it in our own strength. And so we ask, Father, that you would equip us, that your Holy Spirit would empower us, we ask, Lord, that where there is that old nature that is still reigning, Lord, may you conquer that in your grace. And anyone here this morning who is yet in their sins under the dominion of that nature, we ask, Lord, that you in your grace may draw them to you. And where we desire what you have forbidden, we ask for your grace. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your strength to renew our minds, to restore right thinking, and to direct our steps according to your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.